Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Church, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you have graced us with the blessing of hearing your word. Let us now participate in the reading of your word by discerning it, by knowing it, by being read by your word. To know what are you calling us to do? Who are you calling us to be as the people of God? Lord, grant us such a lively faith that we don't simply rest upon a faith in Christ. We rest in your promises, which are paved out before us and are leading us into what you created us to be. A humanity that follows Christ our God, molded continually in his image to be a people of God that are alliance, that are placed upon lampsteads to show the world one thing, that you have come down from heaven to redeem us, that you have given us new life, and that new life can be lived abundantly starting today. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my dear disciples in Christ, I'll go ahead and warn you, but you may want to have your scriptures open to Hebrews chapter 11. And Luke chapter 12, the advantage of having the printed word, you can put your bulletin in both spaces versus having it pulled up on your phone there. And the reason why is that there's so much that's packed into both these readings, in Hebrews 11 and in Luke 12. That what we've heard in the lectionary, we need to go a little bit further to fully see what God is calling us as people of God. What he has revealed to us through the blessed written word by the power of his living word, Christ Jesus his Son. And my dear disciples in Christ, I call you disciples, but I want to ask you a question. Do you know what it means to be a disciple? Well, ponder first another word. Ponder the word trust for a moment. For trusting is something that we all do by nature. We, we trust in one's friend. And when you trust in a friend, it means that you have a, a loyalty to one and to another. A friend is called a friend because they are trustworthy. They care for you, and you care for them. They know our innermost thoughts and feelings, a true and a dear friend. So ponder now, think upon God the Father. God the Father, who is our Father precisely. Because he willingly adopts us into his family. Who loves us faithfully, even despite ourselves, just as a good father loves his own. I think again upon the word disciple. The word disciple means to be a pupil, a student, one who is learning, and someone who learns has to sit at the feet of their teacher, of their master. And so the question I have for you, Church of the Good Shepherd, indeed for all of us, is who is your master? Who is your master? For a disciple is more than just a student. He's the servant of the master. He adheres to the master's teaching. And we, we were made disciples, thanks be to God, not of our own will, but by God's will, by God's calling. He chose us before we chose him 
as St. John reveals in his gospel. And although we are head deep in our error, he rescues us from the muck and from the mire of our own making and cleanses us by his righteousness, not by our own. So our faith, our trust, it's simple in concept, but it's so far richer than even King Solomon, who was bestowed with more riches than we can imagine. Now, speaking of faith, the saints of old go before us, the church triumphants. And they're triumphant because they have finished the race. <coughs> they are in the promised land of Sabbath, of eternal rest. And how they live is an example for how we are called to live. Those disciples of God who've gone before us have passed on to their reward, and we should look to them as people of faith, living faithful lives. Not perfect lives, but living faithful lives. And this is why the author of Hebrews gives us a hall of heroes from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He reveals in chapter 11 of Hebrews a list of saints who all share one common characteristic. Faith. Faith. Discipleship requires faith. Not a blind faith, but a firm conviction and confidence in our Master, <coughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. And an example of such a firm and confident faith is explained in verse 3. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Picture for yourself the night sky. Draw it up in your mind. It may have been a while since you've gone outside and just look and behold the gloriousness of the stars. Or perhaps you live where, sadly, you can't see all the stars in the heavens, but you have before, so bring that back to your memory of looking up at the stars of the night sky. Remember now and think upon the wonders of God's green earth, of his creation. So many wonderful documentaries that talk about this amazing planet we live on and all of God's creatures. It should bring to mind the words of the psalmist of Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, he is God, for it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. So when you look upon the heavens, and you see the same stars that Abraham take faith that is the same Lord God who spoke to Abraham with promises of an offspring to bless us is the very same God who made the heavens and the earth. That is the faith of which we speak of today. And we need such a faith. Such a faith that confesses that God sent his son, his only begotten son, to suffer and die under the rule of Pontius Pilate, a particular governor in Judea, at a particular time and place there in the history of humanity. And that three days later, after Pilate ordered the crucifixion of our master, God's son, up from the grave, he arose. He was seen, he was touched, and he dined, not only with his 12 disciples, but with hundreds including over 500 people at once. And we, we are compelled out of a strong faith to follow Christ. After all, children, if we believe in Julius Caesar's existence, 
we have much more confidence to believe in Jesus Christ. After all, we have far more older manuscripts proclaiming Jesus than we do of Caesar. The more that we watch the Gentiles rage, the more self-evident it becomes that we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Nearly 30 years ago, this world was divided between East and between West, between communism and capitalism, authoritarian atheism and freedom of thought. Now the Eastern threat fell with the Berlin Wall, but a new wall has been erected, a wall of hostility that frankly has always existed, but nevertheless a new wall, a wall that goes through our hearts, a hostile wall of sin that goes through every man and every woman. And that hostility is one that is as old as Adam, that is perverse of Cain's murder. It's that eternal struggle between the city of man against the city of God, between man's spirit and the Holy Spirit. For no longer are Christians or disciples of Christ hidden in plain sight here in our nation. Instead, if we actually live as disciples of Jesus, then we're found more and more to be odd, to be strange, and we're labeled disparagingly. Maybe we're labeled as behind the times, or we're on the wrong side of history. Or we're just a bunch of traditionalists or fundamentalists. We begin to find ourselves more and more as strangers in a strange land. But we are not alone. Like Elijah, there are still 5,000 who have yet to bend the knee to Baal. But unfortunately, also like Elijah... We're surrounded by those who claim to profess Jesus, but they show they're not his disciples because they support the world's eagerness to deny God, to mock Christ, to push for abortion on demand, to foster entertainment that indoctrinates our children. They infect our schools and our libraries with sexual confusion contrary to the Maker's will. Before you start rolling your eyes, I'm not calling you to be culture warriors. I'm calling you to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Because Scripture calls us. Scripture calls us to stand firm in the faith once delivered. So we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to stand firm today, in this time, in this place, where we are at? Because to stand firm is more than just living an invisible life. Discipleship requires submission to Christ and heeding his commission to go and make disciples. We are truly sojourners in this life. Never at home, but always living in exile. Exile from the heavenly homeland. We're like Abraham, walking by our faith, far from our own country that we once knew, but going and heading towards a new and to a promised land that we draw nearer day by day, moment by moment. And like Moses, we too journey, journey towards that country the Lord God has promised us. So the question is not, are we going to be exiles, but how do we live as exiles? Not whether we're going to be sojourners or strangers, but how are we going to serve the neighbor, the stranger next to us, and to make them into a fellow sojourner along the way, serving the truth, and pursuing his life. Listen now to how the saints of old 
who lived before Christ was born are praised in Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clearly, they are seeking a homeland. Are you seeking a homeland, a heavenly homeland? Are you pursuing after foreign false idols in the here and now? It's not just the Old Testament saints that are referred to as strangers and sojourners. Listen to the words of St. Peter in his first letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as strangers and exiles, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against our soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you, not if, when they speak against you, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Did you hear that encouragement from a fellow disciple, a saint, the apostle, St. Peter? We too are fellow strangers and exiles, just like him. And we too are called to wage a war against the fleshly desires of this world. He prophetically warns that the Gentiles, that the non-believers, will speak against us and accuse us of evil doing, despite serving our Lord God. It's truly an upside-down world that we live in. But that's why we're exiles in the first place. Because this land that we sojourn, it's full of other exiles who don't even realize they're enslaved to Egypt. Open your eyes. As you leave these doors, open your eyes and see the slaves that surround you. Some are slaves to addiction. Some to money and greed. Some to power. Some to sexual desire. Others are greed. Others, it's entertaining oneself to death from the very phone or the streaming device that we all have. Alas, even so many self-professing Christians are willfully enslaving themselves for a quick dopamine hit instead of bruising our knees and getting down in prayer to the Lord. Instead of bruising our hands by serving and loving those who are around us. I ask you, look around, saints, and see the children of men and how many of them are held in bondage to death. They're weighed down by the chains of their very own sins. And what's shocking is often they don't even realize the heavy chains around their limbs. And that yoke upon their shoulders is one of their own making. Instead of seeking relief from their chains, they add to them. They're engulfed with the desires, and they just want to satisfy. Instead of begging for freedom, they seek a false freedom by indulging themselves. They're pursuing possessions instead of power from on high. They seek sensations and sexual desires instead of a savior. They relish in rot and rust instead of a righteous redeemer. And yet here we are, gathered together, fellow sinners and yet also saints, together to worship the living God, the one who gave us life and who has redeemed our life in the life of the Messiah, Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus. Or so we say. And if we be his disciples, we should be vigilant, be ready, be the burning light of Christ 
that burning light that's within us, so that others may hear, may see, may dwell, and may learn from our master. That namely, our chains are broken. Our freedom is won. We can exchange that heavy yoke of sin and death for the easy burden of Christ. Christ crucified and risen. And Christ promises to return and to serve his very own servants on that last day. Did you hear that in the gospel reading today? That Christ says that we should be ready for when he comes and returns. He will then serve the servants and attend to them. He does not have to do this. He does this graciously, willingly, because he so loves us. No longer must we toll for a crude pharaoh. We are now on a journey which culminates with entering into the heavenly promised land. A land that will descend from the heavenly plane to meet the earthly one. And in today's gospel lesson, it should strike each of us with this urgency. For our Lord tells us, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and to be ready. This urgency continues in verse 41, when instead of answering Peter's question, when Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Instead of answering it, our Lord says in verse 42, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give him the portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set over him all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming, and then begins to beat the male and female servants, to eat and drink and get drunk. What did we hear from last week? Eat, drink, and be merry? The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a life beating. Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. It's a hard word to listen to. It's a hard word to listen to. But it's a true word. It's the word of the Lord. Bishop J.C. Roth, a bishop in the Anglican Church from over 100 years ago, and a fervent Calvinist, mind you, when he was commenting on this passage, this is what he has to say. We are gravely told that working and doing, it's legal, and it brings Christians back into bondage. Remarks of this kind should never move us. They savor ignorance or perverseness. The lesson before us is not about justification, but about sanctification. Not about faith, but about holiness. The point is not what a man should be due to be saved, but what ought a saved man be doing? What ought a saved man be doing? For a saved man ought to be careful to maintain good works. For the desire of a true Christian ought to be found in doing. The words of Bishop Rawl, and I say fervent Calvinism, not to demean Calvinism or demean him, but to point out this is a man who knows justification by faith. Justification by faith alone. But he's pointing out that we Christians who are justified in our faith are to be found walking in faith. Because Christ Jesus is calling us 
in this gospel reading to be vigilant and to be at the ready. So my question is, are you fighting the good fight? Are you standing firm? Or are you sleeping at the post, failing to keep your watch? Because Pharaoh is coming after Pharaoh is coming after each of us. For Satan is like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And he's on our heels, trying to overtake, trying to overcome, trying to destroy you, to hinder you from being an effective disciple of Jesus Christ. So where do you find your peace? If it's in the world, then you'll be found wanting and empty on the last day, sleeping at the post when the master returns. But if your peace is found in the victory of God, won by the Son upon the cross, and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit placed upon you, then the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's body. It will not prevail against his body, that is the church. And therefore the ancient fathers of the church said, there's no salvation outside the church. Or as one father puts it, you cannot have God as your father if you do not have the church as your mother. And therefore the author of Hebrews will say, neglect not the gathering, the assembling of his saints. But sadly, not only neglect worshiping the living God in our own personal circumstances, out of personal convenience, we also fail to, to take up and read his word. Well, God forbid we should actually live and struggle to live a holy life in the Spirit. We call ourselves disciples of Christ Jesus. And yet to the world, for so many of us, they can't tell the difference between the disciples of Christ and the sons of Satan. In this madness, because you were redeemed to be sons of the lights, <coughs> ground yourselves upon God, anchor yourselves upon Christ, hold fast to the Spirit of God, and search the Scriptures. Because church, we are called to be a united people of action. And it starts here. It starts today. No more should we accept for ourselves a failure to love and to serve. But starting right here in our own parish, we should begin today. Because this small outpost of heaven is called to be a bastion against the evil one. We're a small lifeboat, but we have room to spare. So let us fill it. Let us look to the left and let's look to the right and pull in those who are drowning in the depths as we once were. So start today. By taking up a challenge of praying daily and reading the Word of God daily. Throw yourselves at the needs of this parish, at the needs of your neighbor. Live lives that are lives of faith and that are demonstrated in faithful living. Look even to the saints of old. Hear their challenges and their stories. Listen now to the ending of Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. We heard the faithfulness of the hall of heroes, and then we echo back. We heard of Abraham having faith. And then in verse 17, we go back to it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, on whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob would die, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, 
bowing in worship over his head of his death. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph knew that though we be in Egypt, we will not always be. By faith, he knew that they would exodus and go back to the promised land. And he said, take my bones with you. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. They saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Because, frankly, we must obey God rather than men, is the word the apostles say in Acts. Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth and treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt not to being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But listen to those without faith. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled seven days. Not by siege warfare, but by faith in this crazy plan of God of going around the city seven times, blowing your trumpet seven times on that seventh day. And then God gave the victory, and God knocked down the walls. Not by military siege, not by military assault, but by the power of God. And faith is how it was accomplished. By faith did Rahab the prostitute not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, for time would tell me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what they were promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from this, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also cast aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance a race that is set before us, looking to ourselves, no, but looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The author of Hebrews is telling us, is crying out to us, church, and reminding us that we, are a people who are called. A called people with a calling. Christ has saved you for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God by serving in his kingdom. In the words of one preacher, it's time to get off your blessed assurance. <laughs> for truly, we are justified by faith. And faith alone. We are sanctified in the work that Christ provided for us and giving to you and created you to walk in faithfully by the Spirit of God. For it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can do His work. 
to take heart and be encouraged. You go to battle not alone. You go to battle equipped by the living spirit of God. And with your king, Christ Jesus, fighting ahead of us and winning the victory in the battle. So take heart and take arms. Be equipped with the full armor of God. Pray in the spirit for protection for yourself with the Lord's word. Go forth from this assembly, from this church, and welcome the troubles of being under Christ's banner. You were born for such a time as this. Embrace it. God knew exactly when you would be born and where you were going to be born. He's created you for a purpose and for a reason. To be his disciples. To go make disciples. Christian, be vigilant. Be vigilant, vigilant, vigilant. And oppose calling good evil and evil good. Invite the stranger, the sojourner in. Invite them now in this life so they will be with you in the next life. And disciples, most of all, trust the Lord. Keep the watch. For the day draws near for our Lord's return. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you'd visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right, so 